About three months ago, uh, they, they announced here at church that the men were going to have a, uh, well, not exactly a business meeting, but they were going to get together on Monday or Tuesday night, and they were going to be discussing the lesson plans for the next three months and arranging speakers said, if you want to be on the speaking schedule, uh, be at that meeting. Well, it just so happened that uh, I had something already scheduled for that Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was. So I went to Matt after church. I said, I said man, I would really like to be there because I would like to speak. He said, but I can't. I've already promised somebody I'd do this or whatever. He said, well, uh, we'll just fill you in on it later. So I said, okay, that'd be real good. So next Sunday we got to church, or the Sunday after the meeting, and Matt comes up to me. I said, well, how did it go? He says, Matt, you know how Matt is. He goes, we want you to speak on Psalms 119. In case you don't know, Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It's like five pages long in my Bible. And I looked at Matt and I said, this is a joke, right? And Matt goes, no, we want you to speak on Psalms 119. <laughs> so this morning I'm going to speak on Psalms 119. Now I'm not going to speak on the whole 176 verses. We'll just pick out a few uh, ideas that we find over and over in Psalms 119 and, uh, and go over those. If you've got a Bible, pick it up and turn to Psalms 119. It'll be the easiest book to find. It's in the longest uh, book in the Bible, and it's the longest chapter in that book. Psalms 119. And if you notice, <clears throat> I think it is, I was meant to go around and look at some Bibles. Every Bible I've ever seen, it's got a, a little Hebrew letter, and then it's got verses 1 through 8. And then it's got another Hebrew letter, and it's got verses, what, 7 through 16. And it goes on like that, divided up into groups of eight all the way through uh, all 176 verses. There's 22 of those little letters. And I used to look at that, and I would say, surely this is divided up into different thoughts. You know, those first eight verses have a thought, and the next eight verses, and the next eight verses. <laughs> and when I started studying for this lesson, I started... So I'm going to finally sit down and I'm going to figure out how this is organized. And so I looked and I read all 776 verses. And it just seemed all random, kind of like Proverbs. So I took me a piece of paper and I wrote down one. And I looked at verse one and I said, all right, this talks about this. And I went through all 176 verses. And I still saw no pattern. So then I got out the concordance. And here's what I learned. As you probably guessed, all 22 of those letters were the 22 letters of the Hebrews alphabet. And all the commentators I looked at, all two of them, said there's no pattern. It's just random thoughts in there. Aha, I'm not as dumb as I thought I was. But there is one thing that's interesting. That first letter, whatever it's called, each of those eight verses or sentences that come after that begin with that letter. And then the next letter, those eight verses, begin with that letter also. So there's not really any pattern other than just what letter the verses start with. And I heard years ago, and I could not find it, uh, and I asked a couple of people if they had ever heard this. I don't know if it's true. You can uh, just keep your ears open and see if you ever run across this from a reliable source. I have heard that when the Hebrew children memorized uh, the Hebrew alphabet, that for each of those letters, they memorized also those eight verses. And I'm sure at age four or five, when they were memorizing the alphabet, they probably didn't memorize 176 verses, but... Probably later in life they learned each of those eight verses that went with that letter. So that's all really I want to talk about, Psalms 119. I asked Matt when he told me this, I said, because that's a long chapter, I said, <clears throat> I said, exactly what is it that you want to get out of Psalms 119? He said, well, we're really interested in the Word. Well, that makes a lot of sense because that's what David talks about over and over 
And Psalms 119 is the word. And I went through, like I said, I went through all 176 verses. And I would say, what's he talking about here? And what's he talking about here? And I began to see a pattern of about, I don't remember, eight to ten different ideas that he repeated constantly, just in different ways throughout that. And so I want to talk about four of those thoughts that you find repeated over and over throughout Psalms 119. One of the, I guess, the very most basic thoughts for this chapter and then and for the Bible is just the goodness of God's Word. David says um, in Psalms 119, in verse 18, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. In verse 20, uh, 39, he says, Your judgments are good. In verse uh, 98, he says, You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. He says in verse uh, 138, Your commandments, your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. He says in... uh, 140, your law is truth. And in 142, uh, that's 142. Um, in one verse 140, he says, your law is, um, your word is very pure. So David, throughout this, there's other verses that say this. Too. He just constantly praises God for the goodness of his word. You know, Jesus said in Matthew uh 11 and verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I know a lot of times, especially when we're younger Christians, we're trying to get devoted to Christ. There's a lot of times when we would really rather not do what God said. All our friends are at the lake this morning, and darn, I've got to go to church with my parents. I would really like to go to that birthday party at the lake. But as we get older, we see that Christianity is not really that hard. Jesus says, my burden is light. My yoke or my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's not hard to be a Christian. Angie was at the, they went to the lake recently, and she said there was a, apparently a Muslim couple out there, and the man was out there in a T-shirt and shorts, and all the little kids were out there, like all the other little kids, and the poor mom was out there covered from head to toe out at the lake, in, you know, in the black like they were, and all you could see was her eyes. Now, that's a hard religion there. And if you know anything about uh, Islam, you know there's a lot of other hard laws. Christianity's not like that. Christianity, David, of course, he wasn't a Christian, and so he was talking about the old law, but even Christianity is much, much easier than the old law. What, what is hard about the, the New Testament? We're not supposed to lie. We're not supposed to cheat. We're not supposed to steal. We're not supposed to kill. We're not supposed to hate. Um... We're not supposed to commit fornication. Well, there's people that aren't at church this morning that teach their kids that. That's just good common sense. There's nothing hard about Christianity. Now, it's hard, maybe a challenge to do it, like staying on a diet or something. But it's really not that hard. 1 John 5 and verse 3, the old King James Version says, uh, uh, His commandments are not grievous. And the new King James Version says, His commandments are not burdensome. Of all the things we do in life, uh, this is really one of the easiest things. You know, we usually think of Christianity 
that we're Christians because we want to be saved in the end and we want to go to heaven and not hell. But in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8, Paul wrote Timothy, and he explained that bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness, is, or Christianity, is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is. Not only will what we're doing this morning get us to heaven, but it just makes our life a lot easier right now. You pick up the newspaper, you get the Dallas Morning News, you get the Metro section, and you turn to page 2, and right there, it's got all the bad things that happened last night. Especially on Saturday morning and Sunday morning, you can read about the car wrecks where someone was driving 100 miles an hour down 635 and ran into a telephone pole and three people were killed and two are in critical condition. You can write, uh, read about fights and shootings at, at bars and strip clubs at 3 a.m. in the morning. Those are the people that are having a hard time. It's not us. His commandments are not burdensome. Christianity is not hard. It makes this life a lot easier. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul wrote to the Ephesians to um, <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Well, why? That it may be well with thee, and your days may be long on the earth. God wants what's best for us. A parent does not tell their kids, say, don't play in the street. If you get in the street, I'm going to spank you. The parent doesn't tell the child that because they want to spank the child, because they don't want the child to have any fun. They tell the child that because they don't want the child hurt. And God tells us all these things because he doesn't want us hurt. He doesn't want us divorced. He doesn't want us in prison. He doesn't want us in the hospital. He doesn't want us sick. God wants the best for us. His commandments are not burdensome. David said repeatedly that God's word is very good. I read one time that God calls it, God doesn't call it bad because it's sin. He calls it sin because it's bad. Let me explain that. Hey, Dad, can I go to the lake Saturday with all my friends? No! Why not? What's wrong? Because I said no! So now, if I go to the lake on Saturday with my friends, that's a sin. Why? Is there anything wrong with that? No. But now Dad has said not to do that. Dad made a rule, just an arbitrary rule. I mean, he may have had good reasons. But now it's sin, even though the action itself, there's nothing bad about it. Now it's sin. God takes the things that are bad and says, don't do these things. These things are sin. So usually when you read in the Bible a commandment, something we're not supposed to do, it's usually for our benefit. God calls it sin because it's bad. Don't commit fornication because you can get some terrible, terrible diseases that will cripple you and even kill you. And I don't want that for you. God says, don't be drunk with wine where it's in his excess. A, friend, a fireman friend I used to work with talked about a party he was in at one night, and this guy there at the party wasn't drinking under the influence or anything, but he was there at the party, and he got drunk. And I can't remember if he's coming down the stairs or going up the stairs, and he just face-planted into those stairs just because he was drunk. God doesn't want stuff like that to happen to us. And just a hundred other things, God wants what's best for us. God's Word is very good. What if at about 10 minutes till 10 this morning, 
Jesus walked in the door. Do you think I'd be preaching now? <laughs> no. I say, we would be honored. I mean, one of the elders or Mike, we would be honored if you would speak to us this morning. And I'd be sitting here just like you. I'd be like, wow. What, what's he going to say to us? What's he going to say about the church at Denton? You know, like he wrote the seven churches of Asia. What's he going to say to me? What can I do better? I go, Man, what is Jesus going to say? Jesus is preaching right now. The Bible says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. An oracle was a man, or uh, I guess it could have been a woman, that spoke on behalf of the gods to the people. God just spoke through them. And that's what the Bible says this morning. If I speak, or Mike, or Matt, or, or anybody, we're not supposed to give our opinions. We're not supposed to give our political opinions. We're supposed to speak as God speaks. God is speaking through me. So when I say, uh, uh, read one of these verses from Psalms, talks about the goodness of God's Word, that's not me saying that. That's God telling you that, telling me that. That's Jesus telling us that. Jesus is speaking to us this morning. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, or the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You take God and Jesus and this Word that we have here, the three are tied together so closely that you can't separate them. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Here he calls, in John chapter 1, John calls Jesus the Word. And so if Jesus is good, then the word that he teaches is good also. And so this morning, this word that we're hearing is not from Confucius. It's not the autobiography of somebody. It's not the Constitution of the United States. This is basically Jesus right here. Everything that Jesus believes, everything he wants us to do is right there in that word. And so anytime we read a verse out of that, Jesus is talking to us. God's word is very good. These are not the teachings of Confucius. Uh, these are not the teachings of Islam. These are the teachings of Christ. This is Christ. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 said the word of God, no King James, it says the word of God is, uh, what's the word? Quick and powerful. New King James says the word of God is living. Look at the lives that have been changed by the word of God. The people that, well, just your life, I mean, even if you were born into the church or raised as a Christian in a Christian home, or if you came into the church from outside, look at the lives that have been changed. The people uh, that have given up bad habits and the people whose marriages are good now. This word, like I said, it's not the teachings of Confucius. This word changes people's lives. It is alive. So God's word is good. The next thing, or one of the next things I want to talk about, is David said repeatedly, this is one of the main thoughts I, I got out of Psalms 119, that he delights in the Word of God. You know, my kids, well, I guess there, a lot of them are still in college back when they were in high school. Get up next morning, oh man, I'm tired, Dad. As soon as supper's over last night, I went in the bedroom and I studied to one o'clock. I studied six hours straight for these exams, Dad. Man, I am exhausted. Really? Get a lot of studying? Oh, man, I, six hours straight. Day. Six hours. Well, you know, I was on Facebook, and I noticed you updated seven times. I heard your telephone ring seven times. Uh, I know that you sent out some emails. When I went in there and saw, I looked on your computer, you had the Facebook application, AL, 
AOL Instant Messenger application open, the Yahoo Messenger open. And so, how much good do you think they got out of that six hours of studying? About 15 minutes? You know, we're going to have to be a little more interested in God's Word than what our teenagers are in their calculus book. We're really going to have to spend some time with it, get to know it, and, and, and put some thought into it. David said he delighted in God's Word. Psalms 119, verse 16. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 20. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. Psalms 119, verse 47. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. You know, we've got several babies here in the audience this morning. In the way that God made them, it's when they get hungry, they let you know it. Now, they don't say, I want milk, I want something to eat, but they let you know that they're hungry. First, they get a little cranky, and if you don't feed them, they get a little worse. Then they start crying. If you still don't do anything about it, they will scream and make your life miserable because they're letting you know that they want something to eat. Peter said that we're supposed to be the same way. In his first letter, he said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Now, he uses the word to desire, which he often thinks of, well, I would like to go out to eat tonight. But the example he gives is someone that demands and has to have that milk. And we as Christians should, should want God, God's word. Uh, Jesus told Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness, says, uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. We've got the option of spending time with sinners and doing things their way and listening to their advice. Or we've got the option of doing it God's way. And this is the way we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to delight in the law of the Lord. I'm just assuming that everybody's life is pretty good right now. And I know that uh, some of you have lost loved ones. There's cancer in families, Leah Stonebarger. But I think, unless there's something I'm not aware of, most of us today are in pretty good health. We we got enough, uh, you know, we've got jobs, we've got enough money, got a good house. But it won't always be this way. Hard times will come. The death of a child, the death of a spouse, one of us will get cancer, one of us may get killed in a car wreck. Hard times will come. David said, trouble and anguish, in verse 143, trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments were my delight. And again in verse 192, I would, have have, <clears throat> I would have perished in my affliction unless your law had been my delight. We need to take delight in God's word now. We need to think about it, and read it, and meditate on it, and get it into our hearts. So when hard times do come, we've got the strength that we need. I've heard of a lot of people that have... Uh, 
been in just terrible accidents, a car wreck or whatever, and been in the hospital for weeks or months. And the reason they survived was because they were in good physical condition. And the doctor said, the reason you're alive today is because you were in good shape when this accident happened to you. And that's the way it is with Christians. The ones that survive the hard times are the ones that are in good shape spiritually when the hard times get. Once you're in that hospital bed, you can't start lifting weights and taking vitamins. I mean, that might help a little. But if you're not in good shape then, then uh, it, it may be too late. We need to get in good spiritual shape now. We need to delight in the law of the Lord now. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delight. Our second daughter had twins, and at age three months, one of them died in her sleep. And as tragic as that is, at her funeral, one of the songs that they played was Louis Armstrong's It's a Wonderful Life. In the midst of all that sadness and tragedy, because she was strong then and delighted in God's word, she could still look at the bright side of things and know that better times were coming for her and her daughter. Psalms 119 in verse 24 says, Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselor. What does a counselor mean? In Psalms, 119, or Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. What does that mean? Well, counsel is advice. You get accused of a crime or uh, something happens, and you go seek legal counsel. That means I don't really know what I need to be doing, but I'm going to get some advice from someone that doesn't know what they're doing. Legal counsel. David said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel or the advice of the ungodly. Who do you go to to find out how to raise your kids? How to have a good marriage? Uh, how to, to run a business? We should be going to the Bible. We shouldn't be going to Dr. Spock or Ann Landers or any of these others that are not Christian. We should be listening to God to see what he says. We should be walking in his counsel and not the counsel done godly. I talked to someone one time that was having trouble with uh, their kid. And we sat down for a long time and I said, I, I really don't think that he's got a mental illness. I think it's just a discipline problem. I went over the verses in the Bible, blah, 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 blah. And he said, I'll think about it. And he came back a couple of days later. He said, well, I've been talking to the guys at work. And I really think it's mental problems. Well, where was he getting his advice? He wasn't getting it from God. He was listening to other people, people that had problems in their own lives and didn't know how to take care of them. He wasn't walking in God's counsel. He chose the counsel of the ungodly. We need to delight in the law of the Lord and, and do what it says. Another thought that we find in, uh, that David repeats over and over and over in Psalms 119 is found in verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. In verse 99, he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I think I said it earlier, but we're just going to have to take God's words seriously. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, Paul said, pray without ceasing. Christianity is not a hobby. A hobby, work is something you do all the time. A hobby is something you do when you feel like it. You put only as much money into it as you want. If you don't feel like doing it this weekend, you do something else. And next weekend, if you've got time, then you devote yourself to your hobby. 
Christianity is not like that. Christianity is a full-time, it's even more full-time than our jobs. Uh, Paul said, pray without ceasing. And we should also meditate on his word. We shouldn't just look at a Bible now and uh, not, not any other time during the week. It should be a constant thing. And even when we don't have a Bible in our hands, we should be thinking about it. One of the things I found out about myself is whenever I hear about someone that dies, you know, it could be a friend, well, not a friend, but uh, like Earl Scruggs died recently, the famous banjo player. My first thought was, he probably wasn't a Christian. And I don't know Earl, I'm not judging him, but Jesus says, says many there be, good, be that go in at the broad gate to destruction, and few there be that find the straight gate to salvation. So just the odds are, if a hundred people die, the majority of them probably are not saved. And my first thought is, I bet he wasn't a Christian. And, and a lot of people, someone's, remember this uh, woman, I think, in Garland, worked at a grocery store, and a guy came in and robbed the store and squirted her with some flammable liquid and set her on fire. Set her on fire. She died a few days later. And, of course, the worldly view is, oh, she's out of her misery. The Christian view is, if she wasn't in a Christian, she's in a worse place now. So the point is, do you look at the world around you and the things that happen and everything, do you judge it through the, through the Word of God? Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? We should meditate. In Psalms 1, uh, again, it says, In his law he meditates both day and night. Uh, remember Philippians 4, where it says, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, whatsoever things are just. What does he say to do about those things? Meditate on these things. I don't take the newspaper, but used to when I'd get to the fire station on, in the morning when I worked, they had a subscription to the newspaper, and I would always turn to the metro section, page two, to look see if there's any big fires last night or terrible accidents. But once I retired from the fire department, I decided I was going to quit doing that. And I quit listening to the news on WBAP that talks about all the stabbings and everything. And pretty soon I began to just be a happier, more relaxed person not meditating on the good news. Paul told them that we need to meditate on the good things. We need to meditate on God's Word. It should be continually on our mind. Psalms 119 and verse 11, David said, Your Word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Preaching is like a hard, fast rain. Now around here, we'll get big cracks in our ground, so if we have a hard, fast rain, then the water will run in there anyway. But a lot of places, the ground is just solid, and uh, you have a hard, fast rain, and it just runs off. And after it's gone, it's, the ground's not very wet. Michael, would you go give me a Kleenex or a paper towel or something? Um, but what a, a rain that is good is a rain... It's a slow drizzle over several days. And it doesn't run off and it soaks in. And it keeps soaking in and more drizzle comes. And you get a slow drizzle after three or four days and that ground will get sloshy because it's saturated. And that's the same with preaching and meditation. Thank you. That's the same with preaching. I can tell you a whole lot of stuff and probably this afternoon you won't remember any of it. But you meditate on stuff and it starts sinking in real slowly and you think about it. 
Have you ever gone to a movie and you watch the movie and boy, you're just fascinated with it? And, and it's real thought provoking. You go home and you start thinking about it. You say, well, why did he do this? And the next day you're thinking about it. I mean, that's a good movie. But what I don't understand is, why did he go ahead and go to that restaurant if he knew there was going to be a holdup? You mentioned it to your wife or a friend, and they say, well, don't you remember? He said, remember, he'd got that fortune cooking, blah, 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 blah. And so you go see a movie, and you think you've absorbed it all, but then as you think about it over a few days, it starts coming, oh, understand. Now, now I understand why he did this. Because you, you think about it, you let it soak in. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You spread that puzzle out, and, and if you didn't have that box to look at, you wouldn't have a clue what you were looking at. But you look for all the pieces with the straight edge, and you finally get a border, and over here it's got all the bushes that are green. Up here it's got the sky that's blue, it's got the hat. And you start getting a few, and then it starts making sense. But when you put all those pieces there, it doesn't make any sense. But you start working on it, thinking about it, and getting the pieces in place, and then you start seeing the big picture. And that's the way meditation is. Simply reading a verse, simply hearing a lesson will do some good, but you need to think about it. We need to meditate on it. Someone told me, I heard him say years ago that Truman Till... For those of you that don't know Truman Till, he, he died of cancer. He was one of the smoothest preachers there ever was. He was so good. And he would stand out here and never open the Bible and quote verse after verse after verse. He knew the word. It was in his heart. And I heard someone say one time that the way he learned that was all those long hours he spent on a tractor out in the field driving those long rows and turn around and coming back. Rather than being bored or listening to the radio, he was memorizing scriptures. And we admired Truman Till. He meditated on God's Word. And we too need to meditate on God's Word. Um, I know a woman in the church was talking to her recently, and, and this probably could be a lot of women in the church. She got married in the church, believe it or not, but her husband turned out to just be a very deceitful, lying, hard-hearted person. And he started abusing her and just treating her just awful. And he got so bad, I think he cheated on her too, they finally got a divorce. And then they had joint, or, you know, he had to come pick up the kids to take them, you know, when it was his weekend or whatever. And he was so, so mean and he lied to her and he lied about her. And one time he had her down on the ground and was just about to beat her up. And the kids walked in. And he said, oh, hi, Dad. And it saved her. She said, I was never alone when he came over after that. And her life was so miserable for years and years and years. She said, I had my favorite verses. And I just thought about them over and over. And I knew that one day it would get better. And I just, if it hadn't been for those verses, if it hadn't been for Christianity, I would not have made it. We need to meditate on God's Word. We need to take it seriously. It needs to sink down in our hearts. David said, Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a, a guitar player up in Minnesota that's fairly well known. And he also teaches guitar. And I got to meet him several years ago at Bluegrass Camp in Leveland. And he is a funny, funny guy. And I bought some of his CDs, 
in one of them, he's got a song. Like I said, he's a not only guitar player, but he teaches. And one of the songs he wrote about teaching guitar. And he in the verses, his students say, what's the secret to being a good guitar player? What do I need to do? What's the secret? Would you like to know what the secret to Christianity is? If I could tell you just one thing that would make your life so much easier and change the secret to Christianity. Well, Adam Granger, the guitar player, in his song, his students are saying, what is the secret to being a good guitar player? And in the chorus of the song, he says, go home and practice. You can go take lessons week after week after week and hear everything you need to know and still not be a guitar player if you don't practice. And it's the same with Christianity. We've got to finally, in the end, obey it. We can't just come and listen and then go home like nothing ever happened. David said in uh, Psalms 119 and verse 4, You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. We've just got to do it. Why? Why do we have to obey God? Well, one, because He deserves it. Jesus says, This do in memory of me. He gave His life. And he has the right to expect us to come up here and keep the Lord's Supper in memory of his death. So one, he deserves it. But one of the main reasons we need to obey God's word is Ephesians 6 and verse 3, that it may be well with thee in your days long on the earth. God wants what's best for us, but if we just listen and don't apply it to our lives, it's not going to do any good. Like practicing an instrument, banjo or the piano or drums we've got to practice Christianity we talked about meditating David didn't say simply I have read your word he says I've taken it off the printed page and I've gotten it down into my heart where it's going to do some good that I might not sin against you we've got to actually do what God says I know a guy that's in prison right now because he had sex with an underage girl in high school there was a a kid in class. Everybody knew he did drugs. His name was Mike. I can't remember his last name. And when Laura started grade school, or kindergarten, ran into another ex-classmate from high school, and he said that Mike was dead now from drugs. I know another person that, uh, of course, there's been a lot, saw a lot of them for myself, didn't wear their seatbelts and their minor wreck and went through the windshield, and they're dead now. They didn't buckle their seatbelt. Remember another girl that grew up in a very, very immoral house. And if I remember the story correctly, her dad even used, sold her into prostitution. And she got AIDS and died in the hospital there in Lubbock, either just before or about the time she turned 18. Would you trade places with any one of these people? Would you take everything you've got now and give it up to be lying in a coffin? Well, of course not. Who would want that? God doesn't want that. That's why he said that it may be well with you and your days may be long. We need to obey God's word so that we will have a good life. First Timothy 4 and verse 8 says that his commandments have a promise of this life. Not only will we get to heaven, it will make this life better. Psalms 119 and verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. We've got to pay attention to it and believe it. 
Hebrews 5 and verse 14, Paul wrote to the Hebrews, and he compared the word of God to, to milk and meat. He says, but meat or strong food belongs to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Exercise. If you notice in the Bible, Christianity is constantly repaired to, com- compared to a sport or something athletic where we need to exercise discipline and practice and self-control. Michael, when he was in football in high school, boy, the, what the coaches told him really sunk in. He kept saying, Dad, you need to eat better. You need to eat more vegetables, Dad, because Michael wanted to excel at football. And so he was eating right. He doesn't now, but he did then. He would try to get enough sleep. He'd try to eat right. And he'd cut, here, Michael, do you want to stop and get some? No, no, I don't want any ice cream, Dad. We as Christians need to have the same attitude. We need to work at being strong Christians. We need to apply what God has said to do. Do you have a bad temper? A foul mouth? Trouble with arrogance or pride? Hatred? Dishonesty? Lying? Laziness? No self-discipline? We've got to put our, our nose in the books and, and work on these problems. We've got to spend some time fixing it. Years ago, there was a family. I guess maybe they're still in the circus now. But this one family was a tightrope walker. Or did a tightrope act. And one time, one of the men, seems like the family's name was Mondini or something. It was Italian, I believe. And they had a cable stretched across a canyon. And this older guy was going to walk all the way across. And, of course, there were a bunch of hecklers in the crowd. And one guy said, oh, you're going to fall off and break your neck. You'll never make it to the other side, blah, blah, blah. And, and Mr. Mondini said, sir, I suggest you just watch. And so he took that pole like they use, and he walked that cable all the way to the other side and came back. And then he came back, and he, he said, this time I'm going to carry a chair on my head, balanced on one leg. Of course, the heckler starts. I said, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to die. You're not going to make it. Sir, I suggest that you just watch. He went across and came back. He said, now my assistant is going to sit in the chair. Of course, the hacker said, you're going to die for sure this time. You're an idiot. You're both going to die. Sir, I suggest you watch. He went across the other side and came back. And he asked that heckler, he said, now do you believe? The guy said, I believe. Now he said, but do you really believe? He said, I really believe. Get in the chair. We sing a song that we probably sing without really thinking about it. And the older I get, the more wisdom I see is in the song. It says, trust and obey. Now, we've all confessed Christ because that's why we're here this morning. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We call ourselves Christians. But do we really, really, really believe? Do we think if we do things God's way that our marriage will be better? Do we think that God's way is the right way to raise our kids, or are we reading other books? God says, you need to trust me and obey me. Get in the chair. If you really trust me, keep my commandments. Do it my way. So David said that God's word is good. He delights in God's word. He meditates it. And David said, I will obey God's word. And that right there is the secret. We always offer a song of invitation. If you've got a change in your life, if, we've, 
you've been thinking about something or if maybe we've touched your heart, make a decision now to make that change. And you don't have to come up here to do it. You can quietly decide while you're singing this song, I'm going to give up this sin or I'm going to do this. You can grab one of us afterwards and say, hey, can we talk sometime? I would like to visit. You don't have to come up here. But if you would like to, we'll be glad to pray for you. But we pray that as we sing the song, you'll make any change you need to in your life. Always stand and sing.